Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, one of the reasons I love the Bible is because you can pick up the Bible and you can read a passage like this that really speaks to our lives today. See, Malachi is a prophet uh, that is writing about 340 BC. So he's writing several, several, several years ago. But the topic he's writing on uh, really still affects us today. And, and what Malachi is showing us is essentially this that when your love for the Lord grows cold, that's going to affect a lot of relationships that you have in your life. And see, the book of Malachi is about that. Malachi is a prophet that's coming to the people of Israel, and he's saying over and over, you've stopped putting the Lord first in your life. And because you've stopped putting the Lord first in your life, these things are starting to happen within your relationships, within your life. Now, what caused them to stop putting the Lord first? Well, historically in this moment, uh, there's some things like an economic downturn, a high inflation rate, widespread diseases, and corrupt uh, religious leaders. And so the people of Israel, they're back from captivity. The temple has been rebuilt. They're in the promised land, and they're dealing with a bad economy, high uh, prices of milk at the grocery store, widespread disease everywhere, and corrupt religious leaders. Can we just pause and go, that sounds familiar, right? Right? And then that just kind of sum up the last few years of where we are. And so, so the people of God, the people of Israel, they're looking all at all this and saying, wait a minute, is this what it means to follow God? This is what we get when we follow God? Well, I don't want to do that. I don't really want to love the Lord first. And so God sends Malachi, this prophet, and he's saying, no, 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 you need to wake up. You need to come back to the Lord first, because if you're not putting the Lord first and the first things of God first in your life, there's some things that are going to start happening in your life. So chapter one, verses one through five, they've forgotten that God loves them. Chapter one, verses one, uh, six on down to chapter two, verse eight. Now they have forgotten how to love one another in worshiping the Lord. And now we're seeing that because that love for God has grown cold, for that love for worshiping the Lord has grown cold, now their relationships with one another are going to grow cold. So here's what I want you to see this morning. That when you stop worshiping God first and loving God first, that's going to affect relationships that you have with others. But on the converse of that, if you love the Lord your God first, and worship him first in your life, and that relationship with God's growing, now those relationships you have with other people are going to strengthen. They're going to be strong. So we're going to just kind of move through like we do verses 10 through 16, and I want you to see three ways first that not loving God first is going to cause relationships to grow cold. So here's the first thing we're going to see. Number one, not loving God first is going to weaken relationships with others. Okay? So not loving God first in your life is going to weaken out relationships you have with other people. Now, you might disagree with that statement right off the bat. You might say, well, wait a minute, hang on. I can love God and still hate somebody. I, I can love God 
and not forgive that person. I, I do it every Sunday, right? I could do that. Well, let me just point you to what Malachi's saying in response to what you might be thinking on that. Look in verse 10. Malachi says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we so faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So notice what Malachi's saying. He's saying that we are being faithless to each other, we're profaning the covenant that God has made with us as a people. So we're treating each other poorly, right? We may be being dishonest with each other, not forgiving each other, mad at each other, upset with each other, being rude to each other. And so Malachi saying, well, wait a minute, guys, hang on, Israel. Remember this. God is our God. He is the God of Israel. And going back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Malachi is saying, remember God chose us to be his people. That we're only a, a, a God's people because God chose us to do that. We're only a nation because God made us a nation. We're only loved by God because God chose to love us. And so if we are God's people, then we ought to love each other in certain ways. And so Malachi is saying, if we remember that God loves us, then that's going to extend out to the way we love each other. But if your love is growing cold between you and God, it's going to affect those relationships you have in your life. And so Malachi is talking specifically to the Jewish people right there in verse 10. But let me take a step back and let me just widen out the application a little bit if I can. We need to remember this, Genesis 1.26, that God has made all people in the image of God. So therefore, we ought to treat all people with respect, with love, and in decency. So stop and think, all right, I'm going to go in Houston traffic this week. So maybe when that person cuts me off, I don't really need to lay on my horn, right? I don't really need to yell at them and tell the kids in the back, don't repeat what daddy just said, right? Maybe I don't need to speed up on them and get right behind them to teach them a lesson. Maybe I ought to just stop and say, you know, I don't know what that person's going through. Maybe they're having a really bad day. So Lord, I'm going to pray for them. And I'm just going to pray, Lord, you work in their life and let your justice be done because they cut me off, right? Yeah. So put them in the Lord's hands. Maybe it's at work or, or a friendship where somebody's wronged you and you say, you know what, I, man, because I know God loves me and I'm loving the Lord, well, I need to extend out that forgiveness. I need to extend out grace in their life because I don't know exactly all what's going on in their life. Maybe, maybe it's to say, all right, I've got a friend that's in need right now. And because I know the Lord loves me and I'm loving the Lord, I'm going to go help that friend that needs some help. See, when you remember God loves you and you're putting the worship of God first, it's going to strengthen relationships you have around you. But the converse of that is this. If you're not loving the Lord first, it's going to weaken those general relationships we have around us. So Malachi starts out in a general sense. Okay, listen, the way we love the Lord is going to affect how we love each other. 
But now he's going to pull us in to a more intimate relationship, and he's going to talk about our marriages. And so notice what Malachi is about to say here. He's going to say, if we stop loving the Lord first, it's going to weaken the standards we have for marriage. It's going to weaken the standards we have for marriage. Pick up in verse 11. He says, Judah has been faithless. All right, and Judah at this time is another name for the, the nation of Israel. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob and any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So, so notice what, what Malachi is saying here. He's saying, because Israel, you've stopped loving the Lord first, you've forgotten how the Lord loves you, you have now committed an abomination within your marriage. And verse 11, you've married the daughter of a foreign god. So here's what's going on. The Jewish men are divorcing their Jewish wives, and they're going out and marrying women from another country who worship other gods. Now, we don't know why that's happening. Uh, Malachi doesn't say here's why they're doing it, but we can maybe just hypothesize to go, okay, well, maybe they're looking around and going, hey, my life here ain't really good, but this country over here and these ladies, they, they have some money, and so I'll, I'll go marry them, and maybe economically things will help me out a little bit better. Maybe that's why it was taking place. But the issue is this. He's saying you're divorcing your wife for really no good reason, and you're now going to marry a woman from another country who worships another god. And notice he says that's an abomination. It's wrong. It's not the standard we ought to have. So let's look at the intent and the standards of the marriages that we ought to have. Because I know there's some of you in this room that are single, and you're thinking about marriage one day, and you're probably praying and saying, okay, what kind of man do I want to marry? What kind of woman do I want to marry? Uh, there's plenty of parents that are sitting here in this room that you need to teach your child or teenager, this is what you look for in a man. This is what you look for in a woman. So let's just talk about that real quick. Let's just look at what our standards of marriage ought to be as a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, let me just start off on the list. And I'm going to give you one on the list, and it's really a non-negotiable for me. I believe this. Every Christian ought to marry a person who is a growing believer in Jesus Christ. That's number one on the list. And that should be non-negotiable. When I was in college, I committed before the Lord. I'm going to marry one day a woman who loves the Lord and is growing in her relationship with Jesus Christ. That was my commitment to the Lord. That's number one on my list, and that's non-negotiable. That's what I teach our son, David. I say, David, I don't care one bit about the color of that young lady's skin you're going to bring home one day. That doesn't bother me one bit. I'm going to ask you this. What's the content of her heart when it comes to the Lord? Because I don't want to know if she's a Christian. Because a lot of people call themselves a Christian without being a Christian. I want to know, is she a growing believer in Jesus Christ? And about the 2001, 2002, I began praying, Lord, I want to marry a woman 
that is a growing believer in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I'm really bad at dating. I'm really bad at asking girls out. Lord, I'm done with all that business of dating. I need you literally to send the person to me. That was my prayer. 2001, 2002, Lord, I, I'm, done, I'm done dating. You want me to be married? You, you, I'll be married if you want me, but you're going to have to send her to me because I'm bad at this. You can ask Sandra. June 2002, I meet Sandra. She gets hired at the Christian school that I'm uh, teaching and coaching at. Principal calls me uh, one night and says, hey, I need you over here at this apartment complex in, in town. Uh, we're helping to move a new teacher in tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And I'm thinking, ugh, I have other things to do on a, you know, a weekday, summer day than 8 o'clock. All right, I'll be there. I showed up late because I got lost, which is no... If you know me, I have no sense of direction, and so I, I, I got lost. This was days, kids, before the GPS is on your phone. So I got lost, and there she was, standing in her apartment, her little kitchen area. She had a, a J. Crew hat on, a white Bob the Tomato t-shirt from VeggieTales on. She was wearing khaki shorts. And after I had moved one of her couches up to the second flight by myself on one arm, that part's a joke. Just making sure you're listening. I walked in. I saw her to the right. Her dad was sitting there on a cooler right over to the left. Introduced myself. And right there I knew, boy, I need to talk to this young lady. We're on our second date a few months later. We're at the Olive Garden on Capitol Boulevard in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's our second date. It's the date we said we fell in love. We knew after the Olive Garden date, as we called it, this was going to be it. We were there sharing the endless salad, soup, and breadsticks, because that's about all we could afford. And I told her, I said, listen, here's my number one standard for marriage. I want a woman who is a growing believer in Jesus Christ. There's obviously other characteristics and attributes I look for, but that's it. That's a non-negotiable for me. And I said, my intent in dating is this, I date in order to be married. And, and that's always the way I view dating, still view it now. You date with the intent to be married. If you don't view yourself marrying the person, don't date them. And I said, I'm not going to waste your time. I don't want to you waste my time. If I don't see myself marrying you, then one day we're just not going to date. And I said, at this point, my longest relationship's been six months because the young lady I was dating, we made it to about six months, and I just knew uh, it wasn't going to go any farther, and, and I wasn't going to marry her. And so I said, hey, I don't want to waste your time, and I don't want you to waste my time. We'll just, we'll call it, you know, we'll call it quits. Sandra looked at me, and she said, that's my exact same philosophy of dating. I date with the intent to be married. I want to marry somebody that's a growing believer in Jesus Christ. And she said, my longest relationship at this point has been three months. She said, so if you make it past the three-month mark, you got a shot at this. <laughs> yes. 20 years later, right? But I, I think Malachi's reminding something we have forgotten. That the number one test of who we ought to marry it's not the color of his skin. It's the content of their heart. That, that, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to marry other believers in Jesus Christ. Because when you put the two together, 
There can be sweet things that happen, but, but if you've come together with someone that doesn't worship the same God you do, doesn't love the same God you do, then that can be a very difficult situation. And, and so I want to just implore you as parents, as people that are seeking out marriage now, don't compromise on that. Don't, don't compromise on what I believe the Bible is clear on. Now, for those of you this morning that might say, okay, well, wait a minute, hang on. I'm married to, to someone that's not a Christian. And, and that is some of you, that, that maybe when you got married, you both weren't believers in Jesus, and, and you've become a believer in Jesus, but your spouse hasn't. Or, or maybe when you got married, you, you just didn't know what I just went over. What do you do? Well, number one, I need you to hear me very carefully here this morning. Malachi nor myself, if you find yourself in that situation where you're married to someone that doesn't worship Jesus, we are not telling you go run out later and go get a divorce. No. What you need to do is stay faithful in the marriage that God has put you in. You need to continue to pray for that spouse, love that spouse. You continue to share the gospel with them. You continue to model what the Lord has done in your life. You continue to worship God. And we believe in a strong and a powerful and a mighty God that still saves souls. Amen? And so if you find yourself in that marriage today, listen, I want you to stay faithful in that marriage God has called you in and keep praying and sharing the gospel for the salvation of your spouse. So I want you to see this, not loving God first, it can weaken our standards of marriage, not loving God first, it can weaken our relationship with others. But let me give you number three, not loving God first can weaken your marriage. It can weaken your marriage. Now, if you thought that part was hard to go over, you're going to really like this next three verses, right? Because we now have to talk in verses 14, 15, 16 about a topic that's pretty close to a lot of us in our homes. And it's the topic of divorce. And listen, I know when we go through Malachi, the whole tithing sermon's coming up. And there's a lot of preachers that really just, you know, like, oh man, I don't want to preach on giving. I don't want to preach on tithing. Give me the tithing sermon versus having to go over the divorce part of this passage. Okay? I'll talk about the giving in Malachi 3 all day long. This is tough, but my commitment to always to you since I have day one of you being your pastor is when we move through books of the Bible like this, we don't skip hard things here. We're going to talk about them openly and we're going to talk about them with grace. Right? We're going to talk about them with love and we're going to point ourselves constantly back to the Bible because I understand as you understand this, we live in a culture right now where it seems like divorce is the first option. Whenever there is trouble in the marriage, whether it's a Christian marriage or somebody that's not a Christian, it seems like divorce is the first option thrown out on the table when trouble hits instead of the very, very last option. And for some of you that have been married that are new in marriage, two years, five years, listen, you need to talk to some of us that have been down the road for a while. Marriage isn't easy, right? Marriage isn't tough. Uh, it's tough. Why? Because God's put two sinners together. Right? And, and there's, there's times you're going to have issues within your marriage. There's times where things just aren't going to seem like y'all are on the same page, but it's always worth fighting for in your marriage to stay together. 
It's always worth fighting for, staying together, trying to love the Lord together, helping each other follow the Lord. But in verses 13 through 16, as we read it earlier, let me draw out four kind of truths that I think Malachi's telling us about marriage that we need to remember. Number one is this, marriage is designed to be between a man and a woman. God has designed the institution of marriage to be between one man and one woman until death parts them. All right, you and I need to remember, even though our culture is going a far different path, biblically, we understand this. Humans, we did not come up with the institution of marriage. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage is defined by God in Genesis 2.24 this way. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Man shall leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus affirms that in Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. And that's where God clearly tells us marriage is between one man and one woman until death parts them. And you know, what's interesting to me is I, every wedding I ever do, I always read Genesis 2.24. It's usually after the bride has come down and the bride is standing there with her uh, father or the person that's giving her away and, and, and the groom's off to the side. And I always welcome folks for coming and witnessing the marriage vows and coming to this worship service. And I always read Genesis 2.24 and I say something to this effect. Marriage was defined by God to be between one man and one woman. We didn't come up with the idea. And today, these two folks are entering into a covenant before the Lord to become one flesh. And this is what God has commanded us to do. One man marrying one woman until death parts them because this is the way God wants marriage to be. And then I move on through the ceremony. You know, the last couple of weddings I've done, and I've done this, I've said that for 20-some years of doing weddings. Last few weddings I've done, I've gotten somebody come up to the reception, and whether it's an aunt, Aunt Betty, or Uncle Billy, and they walk up to me and say something to this effect, how dare you? And I say, excuse me? And they say, how dare you bring politics into this wedding? How dare you make such a political statement at their wedding that marriage should only be between one man and one woman? And with all the grace I can muster at the moment, I usually do this. Hi, my name is Lee, and we haven't met. Who are you? And oh, you know, I'm such and such aunt, I'm such and such, you know, uncle. Well, thanks, Aunt Betty, for your opinion on that, but I'm not bringing a political opinion into this wedding. I'm just bringing Scripture. I just simply read what the Bible says, marriage is between one man and one woman till death parts them. So if you don't mind, I'm going to get back to eating my meatballs and my chicken wings and my celery sticks, and I hope you have a great day. Yeah. But I, I, as, as, as me just standing right here, that's happened to me the last three, four weddings I've done. Somebody at a reception is just going to come up to me and say, how dare you say that? Well, listen, I'm not going to back down on that statement because I believe that statement is biblical. Marriage is designed to be between one man and one woman. But we need to also understand what Malachi is teaching us about marriage is this. Marriage is a covenant made by God between a man and a woman, not a social contract you agree to. All right? We'll say that again. The Bible is going to show you this. Marriage is a covenant 
that is made by God between a man and a woman, not a social contract you agree to. So I tell couples that I'm going to do their weddings this. I'm going to say, I don't care if you're going to get married in a church. You're going to get married in the tree in the, you know, under the tree in your backyard. Whether you're going to get married at the beach. Whether you're going to get married at the event center. No matter where you're going to do your wedding, God is going to be present at that wedding. Because I believe a wedding is a worship service. And as the pastor of Heights Baptist Church, I'm ultimately in charge of worship services around here. And so I let those couples know, you can go and get a wedding coordinator. I encourage you to do that. But guess who that wedding coordinator is going to answer to? Me. And guess what's going to happen? I'm going to help you pick out every scripture that's read. I'm going to help you pick out every song that is played. Because if I'm surprised at your wedding day, that's not going to be a good day. <laughs> Why? Because this is a worship service. Whether you have it in a church, whether it's in the backyard underneath your tree, whether it's at the beach, whether it's at an event center. And I'm in charge of worship services. Because I believe what's about to happen is this. God is going to make a covenant between you and your husband and your wife. And this isn't a social contract you're agreeing to. This is a covenant you're entering into. And for that regard, God's going to be there. And so you and I need to remember, marriage is a covenant. When you say those vows to your spouse, however many years ago, you said those before the Lord, until death parts you. But notice number three, Malachi really, I think, hits home in this. He says, persistent sin in marriage renders your worship meaningless. Persistent sin, it worships, it just renders your worship meaningless. Notice in verse 13, he says, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, groaning, because God no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. You say, well, why does he not? Why isn't God accepting my worship? Why is God not accepting my, my offering? Why does God feel so far away in my life? Well, notice verse 14, because God says, you've not been faithful to the wife of your youth. You've been faithless to her. So understand this. Sin within your marriage, left unchecked, left unrepentant, is going to render your worship meaningless. It's going to affect your prayers. It's going to affect your individual worship with the Lord and your worship with each other. And so Malachi shows us that. Well, finally, let's end with what Malachi says in verses 15 and 16. He says this, marriage is, is intended not to end in divorce. Marriage is intended not to end in divorce. Verses 15 and 16 there is a word used in, a statement used in verse 16 that's not in my translation that may be in yours, but it's this, verse 16, my translation says the ESV, for man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourself in your spirit, don't be faithless. If you have a King James, NASB, CSB, NIV, you're going to see the phrase there that God hates divorce or I hate divorce. See, understand this. Marriage is never intended by God to end in a divorce. That is always designed to be between one man and one woman until death parts them. But as God says there, I hate divorce. You and I need to be real careful here. 
that does not mean that God hates divorced people. Should you hear me very carefully on that? God's not saying, I hate you for being divorced. What God is saying is, I hate the act of divorce. Because in that covenant, the way God designed it, divorce was never part of the intent. And so we know that divorces can be hard. Divorces can be tough. Divorces can be tragic. That sometimes couples will come and say, well, we can't get along, but it might just be easier for us to get divorced. But I still don't think we understand the untold damage that can do to our kids. Whether they're little or they're adults, that's going to affect them. That's going to affect generations of people possibly. And so God's saying here that my intent in putting you two together was never for divorce. He's not saying he hates divorced people, but the act of it because it's tearing and breaking apart the covenant he has made with you. Now, are there times permitted in Scripture for divorce? And if you know anything about Christianity, you know we like to debate a lot of things, right? And so are there times in Scripture that there's times where divorce is permitted? You're going to have some Christians say, no. I'm going to say, listen, you need to look at passages like Matthew 5, Matthew 19, where Jesus speaks to marital unfaithfulness as probably a a passage where divorce is permitted. Paul's going to speak to divorce and remarriage in 1 Corinthians 7 and verses 10 through 16. And even though there are no specific verses, I'm going to also say in cases of verbal, mental, and physical abuse of a spouse, divorce can be permitted. But you and I need to understand this. Marriage is never intended to be entered into lightly, and it's never intended to be ended lightly. When you and I stop worshiping the Lord first in our marriages, that's going to weaken the marriage. But when the husband and the wife worship the Lord first in their marriages, it's going to strengthen the marriage. So as we end How do we really apply such a passage? How do we apply all this in our everyday life? Let me give you just three points real quickly and then we're done. Number one, understand this. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. That God forgives sin. God loves you. God cares for you. God sent Jesus Christ into this world to die on a cross for you and to die for all of your sin. For some of you in here this morning, that might mean you have had an unbiblical divorce along the way. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you and stay faithful in the current marriage that you have and be the best follower of Jesus Christ you can be in that, in that marriage and help your spouse be the best follower of Jesus she can be or he can be in that marriage as well. Number two, in our marriages, we need to guard our hearts. Did you notice the end of verse 16? So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So that means this, in our marriages, we need to guard our hearts. But let me also say this to those of us that are married. You and I don't ever need to look down on somebody that's been divorced. That you and I, in those of us that are married, we're not going to treat people that are divorced like second class people. We don't need to look down upon them. 
Because I would argue this, there's probably some of you married in this room today that you are functionally like a divorced couple, even though you've never actually done the, the, the deed of divorce. And today you need to, in your heart, and you need into your marriage to guard that heart and to get yourself right with the Lord, start loving the Lord first and loving your spouse first because you may still have a ring on your finger and she has a ring on your fi- or her finger, but you're functionally, practically almost divorced because your love for your spouse has grown cold. And if that's you today, guard your heart. Ask the Lord, Lord, I don't want to, to end this thing in a way that you don't want me to. So Lord, I'm gonna pray to love you and my husband to love you and to give this everything that I have. And finally this morning, I'm gonna call all of us to believe in Christ Jesus and celebrate him who is forever faithful to us. See, the good news of the Bible is this, Jesus in the New Testament says that he is our bridegroom and we are his bride. And what you find out about this bridegroom named Jesus is that Jesus loves us unconditionally that Jesus came into this world to die on a cross for our sin, to be able to forgive us and give us new life. And this Jesus who is our bridegroom and we, his bride, loves us perfectly and says that I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to divorce you. And so you may have had someone at some point in your life tell you that you were no good, that you were not lovable. You might have had someone in your life say, I don't want anything else to ever do with you. But today you can come to the perfect bridegroom named Jesus who says, I'll never leave you. You're of value to me. You are lovable to me. And I love you so much. I've demonstrated that love. Romans 5, 8 says that while you were still a sinner, I died on a cross for you. And you and I need to celebrate that Jesus. And for those of you that have yet to place your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, today's that day to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin that lasts for all of eternity and have that relationship with God now that extends into heaven forever. So let's pray together. You know, the Bible calls us just to pray in our own words, in our own way. And so maybe you've never really prayed or you say, I'm ready to place my faith in Christ, but I don't know what to say. Then I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer that you can follow along with me right where you are. And it's God that knows your heart. And so you can simply just bow in prayer and say, dear God, today I'm ready to place my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me, amen. You know, if you've prayed that prayer today, first and foremost, we are proud of you. We're excited that you're taking that step of faith and we'd love to connect with you, follow up with you and and just cheer you on in your journey now with Christ. And so you can connect with us by going to heightschurch.org slash connect. Click the decision tab. That's gonna bring up a form for you to fill out. That's gonna come right to me. And we're gonna be in touch with you to see how we can come alongside of you and encourage you. If you're in our area, we'd love to connect with you in person on a Sunday morning. Our life groups are at 9 a.m. and our worship service starts at 10.30 a.m. So we hope to see you soon and we hope you have a great week. God bless.